The mission of the River Church is to be a church of disciples who make disciples persevering in the rescue and transformation of people far from God through the prayerful proclamation of the good news of Jesus. That's simply a restatement of the Great Commission, uh, something that Jesus gave to his disciples before he left, before he ascended into heaven, before he left his earthly ministry. He left that commission with his disciples, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, last week, we, uh, we looked at the, uh, the reason why we make disciples. Why make disciples? And we looked at Revelation 7, verses 1 to 17, and saw that God's ultimate plan for creation is for his son Jesus to be worshipped by those who have been rescued and transformed by him. So we have this mission, this, this great commission, or, or we have this, this intent of our commander, our king, saying, make disciples. And we've looked at the reason why to make disciples, because people are lost in darkness. They, they exist in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus wants to bring them into the kingdom of light so that they can be with his son Jesus, worshiping him forever, giving him glory. And so now that we've done that, it really comes, it comes to this question of, well, well, then what is a disciple? Well, we know it's somebody who's been rescued and transformed. It seems that way. We, we, we talked about that last week. But what is this whole disciple thing? What is a disciple? So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1 today, verses 14 to 20, and answer that question. And even as we do that, I, I, I'm going to qualify this by saying there is way more to say about what it means to be a disciple. Um, in fact, our church covenant, which was signed four years ago, is hanging up in the entryway there. Uh, it's sort of like our attempt to say, well, this is what being a disciple is. And it's hard to pare that down to maybe seven or eight statements, because I'd like to put more and more and more. Well, it's also this. Well, if to be a disciple, you're doing this, and you're being this, and so we're going to try to get some of the big, we're going to try to hit some of the big brushstrokes of what it means to be a disciple from this passage. And so, here's what I would ask you to do. Would you stand with me as I read God's word aloud? Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read these verses aloud. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, this morning to hear your voice speaking through the word to us. Convict us of anything we need to be convicted of. Encourage us in the things we need to be encouraged us. And Lord, give us a greater glimpse 
of the Jesus that we follow. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, let's answer this question of what is a disciple by kind of walking through this story together. Would you do that with me? Um, First of all, a disciple is someone who actively repents and believes the gospel. A disciple is someone who actively repents and believes the gospel. Jesus came into Galilee. Now, there's, there's a few verses that came before this. Where I, mean, I know I'm jumping right into the kind of opening chapter of the story, but not the very first verses. And so, uh, you'll have to just kind of glance back through and refresh your memory that uh, the Gospel of Mark starts with the appearance of John the Baptist. He has his ministry calling people to repent, proclaiming baptism of repentance, forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to be baptized. Um, Jesus was ordained as uh, the beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descended on him in that moment. He went into the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. All of that was going on, and all that means a great deal. That has a lot of significance to the Gospel of Mark. Um, But here we have now Jesus beginning his earthly ministry actively. He has been um, set apart by God. Through his baptism and the, and the coming of the Spirit on him, he has gone through the wilderness, spent 40 days in the wilderness, reminds us, should remind the readers of the 40 years that the Israelites sent in the wilderness, being trained and equipped to be God's people. And so here is Jesus, the beloved Son of God, who is well-pleasing to God, who does something that Israel could never seem to do, and that is to get their act together and obey and be faithful to God as a father. So Jesus is coming, and he's doing this thing of proclaiming. Jesus came into Galilee, and it says he was proclaiming the gospel of God. This word, uh, sometimes uh, some translations will put in preached. He was preaching, or he preached the gospel of God. And uh, then that makes a lot of people nervous because they think, well, that's something that preachers do. It's not something that I do. It's not something I can do. It's not something I will do, ever. But really, all it is, is he's announcing something. He's saying, hey, check it out. This is true. Let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this, this news. Let me tell you what I heard. You guys do it all the time on social media, with your friends, you show up to work after the weekend, and you announce to them, you proclaim to them what you did all weekend long. Sometimes they're prompted. You're prompted with that. Hey, how was your weekend? You tell them. Sometimes you don't tell them everything. It's probably good. Um, But this is just a simple announcement. It's announcement of the gospel of God. The gospel which is good news. And this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says, the time is fulfilled. Now it is. It's, it's like he's saying, batter up. We, we just heard the announcement. Pretty soon the Mariners are going to start playing, and we'll all be excited for a couple of months. And then we will get disappointed, those of you who follow baseball. Uh, but in baseball, there's an announcement. Now up to bat, Edgar Martinez Edgar, Edgar. 
I was one of those people chanting that back in the day. And, and it's, he's saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here, here it comes. Here it comes. It's coming up to the plate. Are you ready for it? Here's what you need to do. Repent and believe in, this, in the gospel. This gospel, which is this coming of the kingdom of God in, in Mark and in Matthew and in Luke, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it is the end of all the other earthly kingdoms, all of the other powers and authorities and all of the injustice that is done, all of the war, all of the, the disharmony. And now here comes God's kingdom. Peace, prosperity, justice, punishment for those who have done wickedly and reward for those who have been faithful to God. Well, actually, did you, did you hear Psalm 146? Did you, you recall Psalm 146? We, we read that at the start. Chris read that for us as we started our gathering this morning. It's telling about the Lord and about what He does and how He does things. And see, that's what people were anticipating. This is God coming and He's going to set everything right. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was announcing. And so, he calls people to repent and to believe. A disciple is someone who actively repents. To repent means to turn around. The, the kingdom and the way of life that you have been living is going in the wrong direction. You may have thought, I don't know if you... Um, so, in mathematics... Or, even better yet, because you have to use math to, um, to get a, a compass direction and go a, to a place. If you're off by one degree and you're only going about 100 meters, it's not that big of a deal. But if you have to travel several miles, if you have to travel a lifetime and you're off by a little bit, you're not going to get where you want to get. You're not going to get where you're, where you're going. I experienced eh, something like this. Friday night I was having dinner with some of my chaplain colleagues and I turned onto this road and I knew that the restaurant was on the left side of the road and I was driving down here and I thought, well, busy time of the day. It's Friday night. It's 5, five o'clock-ish. So there's a lot of traffic, but maybe I'll be able to get there. When I, when I saw the the restaurant on the left side of the road, I realized, I can't get there from here. And so, I went, oh, bummer. I'm so bummed about, oops, sorry. And I just kept driving, right? No! I repented! I said, I repented of the way I was going. And I turned around. I got into the next, the next turn lane I could turn into. I turned around. I went through a parking lot. I came back out. I got on the right side of the road, the correct path. And then I was able to turn in and meet my destination and get to where I was going. You can't be a disciple if you're not actively repenting of the way you're going. That's what that, I mean, that is the, that is the essence of Jesus' message to the world. The way you're going is the wrong direction. If you want to get right with me, you've got to turn around and get on the right path. If we don't repent, here's the, here's the challenge. Because a lot of times we think, well, this little thing in my life, 
I know it's sin, but I'm going to keep doing it. The problem with that is, think of that compass and direction. That trajectory. Think of that in math. You know, you have that line, and then you have that other line. And if you keep going, and you keep going, the distance gets further and further and further. You, if you don't repent, you'll get further and further from Jesus. From where he is. And the whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus is saying, I'm here. The king is here. I'm here for you. I want you to be with me. You've been gone from me for so long. And now I am announcing something to you. It's not difficult, but it's going to be painful. You're going to have to repent of the way you're going and the things that define you. And you're going to have to believe in me. That's actually really good news for us. To believe in the gospel. To believe in the gospel means that we have a king. To put our faith in this king who has come. And, you know, sometimes we, we rightly say, we rightly define the gospel, describe the gospel as Jesus came to forgive sins, to set things right. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We need forgiveness. And Jesus came to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die on the cross in our place, to take a punishment that we deserved. And then he rose again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He left it in the grave. And his new life enables our new life. And that is gospel. Absolutely. But sometimes we, 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 we keep it there and we think, oh, I believe that. I accepted Jesus into my heart and, or whatever language we use. And we think, good, I believe the gospel. Now I'm a disciple. But Jesus is calling us into his kingdom. He's saying, be a part of this kingdom, which means that all of God's kingdom, all of the riches of the kingdom of God are ours in Christ. All of his goodness, all of his peace, all of his compassion, all of his justice, all of his righteousness we have access to everything because we now, once you become a disciple, once you repent and believe in this gospel, you walk in that kingdom. You live in that kingdom. I mean, everything that is, that is in these gospels and in the letters of the New Testament are trying to tell us how to walk as his people. We have a hard time believing that. It's easier to say, I'm on his team. I've got the t-shirt. I've got the bumper sticker. I'm going to heaven when I die. And I talked with a brother this weekend who's like, boy, I, I tell you what, if I couldn't do X, Y, Z and what I'm doing for God, I'd just be like, God, take me home. You know, I, I can't wait to go. And I'm like, yeah, we're all eager to get there, but but the kingdom of God is here, too. And he wants us to be a part of that. That's what Jesus was inviting them into. A disciple is someone who actively repents and believes the gospel. But it's hard to believe, as I said, um, especially uh, 
when we don't believe, uh, we sin. And, and here's, maybe here are some examples. Jesus says, come, follow me. And we, we don't believe him because um, we don't believe that it's going to be safe for us or for our family to follow him where he's leading us. So we don't believe. Jesus says to love. Maybe he says to love your spouse or to love your neighbor or to love your enemy. We don't want to love. We don't want to do those things that we know we should do. Because what if we're not loved in return? We don't believe we're going to get love back. So we don't want to do it. We won't do it. Jesus says to be holy or to be pure. To live a holy life. But we don't believe that we will get pleasure in any other way but through the things that we desire, through our passions and our lusts. So we don't want to be pure. We don't believe that it will be good for us to be pure and holy. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about those things. But we don't believe that we're going to get what we want and what we need. We don't believe that if we're content, everything's going to be okay. So we worry and anxious about all of those things. Jesus says, make disciples. But we don't believe that we can do that. We don't believe that we know enough or that we have time enough to do that. Or, or we don't believe that it's going to work out because I've tried that and it didn't work and people didn't like me and people you know, moved away or, or they said, well, I can't meet with you at that time anymore. That's not going to work. Because they're like, I don't believe that making disciples is worth it. To believe in the gospel means to believe that everything that Jesus asks you to do is worth it. That he's going to give you every uh, power, every, uh, every, uh, every ability to do that thing. And that there is going to be, yes, a reward for that. You may not see it here. You may not see that. I, I spoke with another brother who's, who's right here going, I don't know if I've made a difference in my life. He's 58 years old. He's been a pastor. He's been a chaplain for years and years. And he's loved people and served people. And he's like, I, th I think I'm all going to end. I'm going to retire soon. And it's not going to mean anything. And nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to remember what I've done. I'm like, God's going to remember. God has seen. God knows. And you may not know. But we just, we just need to obey. We just need to follow Jesus, repent, and believe. A disciple is someone who actively repents and believes the gospel. A disciple is someone who says yes to Jesus' call to make disciples. They say yes. Just simply, when Jesus says, come, when Jesus hollers out to us and says, hey, let's do this, we say yes. And we do it. Look, look what happens next. I mean, really, verses 16 to 20, um, Mark intends us to see verses 16 and 20 as sort of the, the details, more of the details of that proclaiming mission that he was on. 
That he was calling out to people, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And now then he says, here is an example of, of that, that message, that proclamation of the good news and what it looked like and what it meant for, for people, real people. Real people. So it says that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw. He saw Simon and Andrew, and he saw them casting a net. They were fishermen. And then in verse 17, Jesus said to them. He, he does two things. He sees them, and then he says something to them. And if you were a, if you were a good first century Jewish young person, you would probably think, well, that's kind of strange. Isn't Jesus being set up here as a teacher? As a rabbi? And that's not how rabbis do it. Uh, rabbis are, are very important people. They don't go around looking for disciples. They get asked to be their, a rabbi. They get, they get applications from potential disciples. That's how things go. They, rabbis interview potential disciples and say, yeah, you might, I like what you, I like your potential. I think we can go places here. That's how things go in rabbi-disciple relationships in the first century. But Jesus initiates. He goes he goes to where the people are. He goes to where they're working. And he says, I want you to follow me. And he also says this. He, or he doesn't say, I want you to follow God's law. Boy, I really have to tread lightly on this one because none of us, anyone standing up here who says, don't follow God's word, don't read God's word, don't, don't do what it says, is wrong. Not, I don't want to say that. But Jesus doesn't call people, hey, do what the law says. He says, follow me. Follow me. And that's a really tricky one. I hope we'll get to it one day. Um, if Lord willing, we're able to um, go through the Sermon on the Mount together at some point. But in that place, Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment. I'm not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He's saying, if you want to know what the law is and how to obey the law, follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. That's what he's saying. He's doing something radically different. He's initiating to others, and then he's telling them to follow me. Not to follow some rules or a particular interpretation of the law. And that's where we do have to be very careful. That we're not saying, you have to do what we say you need to do. You have to follow our particular interpretation of what we think the Bible means here and here and here. You have to believe, for instance, you have to believe this about the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. If you want to know what you should believe about the millennium, I will tell you. But the point is, 
We don't care if you get all of those little details right and you have your theology lined up and you have your chart and you have your big black Schofield Bible under your arm or whatever. Oops, I just said, uh, I just dropped a name. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But I'm not, not trying to be mean to anybody. But he's not, we're not asking you to get all of these things right. We're asking you to follow Jesus. That's what he was asking people to do. And he does it this way. He said to them, follow me. And they followed him in verse 18. And they followed him in verse 20. And I I have to tell you this, uh, that the word underneath our English word for follow me is different every time. There's There's a slight nuance each time. Here, Jesus is saying, come. Literally, come after me. Come behind me. It's a call. It's a call. It's a summons. And that's what he's doing. It's like when Cheryl yells upstairs, it's time for dinner. And the girls don't always think that that's good news. (laughs) Hello. Come and get it. But you know what? If you don't come and get it, you're not going to eat. You're not going to drink. You're not going to participate in that meal. Jesus is calling to them, saying, come, participate in this, and you will feast, and you will drink, and then you will be part of my mission. The expected response is, yes. We, we, I mentioned a verse in Revelation chapter 22 uh, last week, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The, the message of the gospel is, come, Come and enjoy this. Come and receive this. We have a gift for you. We're not calling people to do something for us. It's really tempting to be that way. It's really tempting, right? Malone's, Bell's, uh, Springs, those of you who've been with... It's really tempting when you're trying to start a church to be calling people to this team. Get, we need people on board because we need tithers and we need people who will keep this thing going. No. We are calling people to Jesus. Let that be the, 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 the call of the river church. Come and drink from the waters of life without price. And so... This disciple is somebody who says yes to Jesus, and he's saying yes to Jesus' call to make disciples. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. And there's a couple of really significant things about that. Fishers of men, he's basically just saying, I'm going to make you be a disciple who is a disciple maker. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's, he's alluding back to a passage in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16 which says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Here's a time in Israel's history when the people were beginning to be scattered, when they were far from God spiritually and geographically. They had rebelled against Him. They had refused to repent. They had refused to believe in His promises. They said, we're going to go a different way. And so they were in a world of hurt. And God says, I'm going to send fishermen to catch them out of that sea, that domain of darkness, that chaos out in the 
world, and I'm going to bring them back to myself. They need to be rescued. That's exactly what Jesus is coming to do now. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you do this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to help you to do this thing. See, a disciple, here's the thing, a disciple must be rescued just as Simon and Andrew and James and John were here by that call. They must be rescued by that call of Jesus before they can say yes to this mission, before they can join him on the mission. It's interesting how, um, <laughs> how many people think of being a disciple. Uh, we, we, have, we maybe have different definitions of what a disciple is, and I'm hoping that by the end of our time this morning, we have a clearer, a, a little bit clearer understanding of some things we can really kind of hang on to in our definition of being a disciple. But it's amazing to me how many people think that being a disciple who makes disciples, if I use that phrase, means that you're some kind of a supercharged Christian. Or maybe you're or a Christian who's leveled up a few times, right? But not a basic Christian, you know? And if I'm a basic Christian, I, I, I mean, I still have a wooden sword. And I don't even have a shield. I mean, what, you know, if you're, if you're in some gaming situation, you want to level up as soon as possible. So then you can go on the mission. So you're going to do all these things to get ready. But that's not how it works. Jesus calls you and says, hey, I've called you. And now I've got this mission for you. You're going to join me. All you have to do is follow me. If you follow me, I'm going to help you do everything that you need to do. You've got all the resources available to you. So then he arms every Christian, every disciple with, a, with the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and, and, and the belt of truth and the feet ready with the gospel of peace. He, he's given everybody that. This is for ordinary Christians who have been rescued. But the key is that you have to be rescued in order to be a rescuer. Those who have been rescued from sin and, and the domain of darkness, boy, they look around and they see other people in the domain of darkness and they go, what can I do to help them out of that? That's what a rescued sinner does. A rescued sinner goes, I want other people to be rescued too. I want other people to experience this too. This is not a point of arrival. I've got here. I'm where I need to be. I'm doing, uh, I've got my stuff together. Now, maybe all of you guys can get your stuff together because you need Jesus too. Yes, they do need Jesus. They need to be rescued. They need fishers of men to rescue them. We don't automatically become proficient at rescuing, which is why he says, I will make you become fishers of men. More on that in a moment. But what he's asking them to do is to follow him, to come behind him and learn to be like him. A disciple is someone who says yes to Jesus's call to make disciples. And a disciple is also someone who is learning Jesus in a lifetime of leaving and following. Leaving and following. First of all, 
They followed him in verse 18. They left their nets and followed him. That literally means they walked behind him. They got in line. It's that, it's that whole follow the leader thing that we, that we all did in elementary school. Or at least some of us. Maybe they don't do that anymore. But that's the action of a disciple. That's, a, a disciple is somebody who gets behind Jesus and follows him wherever he goes. Now the word disciple obviously doesn't appear in this passage. Right? Did you notice that? He didn't say, I will, make you be, I will make you become disciple makers. Or he didn't say, become my disciple. He said, follow me. That's what we do. That's what disciples do. But then that word appears in Mark 2, verse 15. And then it is used a total of 261 times in the New Testament. It's all over the place. And it's all over the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John referring to, mostly referring to Jesus' disciples, both the 12 disciples, but also other disciples who were on the outskirts. And then the, it's interesting because the word is used another 28 times in the book of Acts, but it's almost always, always used of those who have repented and believed in Jesus and the good news after hearing it from the original 12. The word disciples is, is, is not, again, it's not for these experts, these, these really skilled people or these special ones who are, who are better than all of the other Christians. It's just for everybody. And, it, and it's for everyone who is learning. Learning. And what are they learning? Well, they're learning Jesus. It's a weird way of putting it. We're, our elders and deacons have been kind of talking about this the last couple of years about a disciple being a learner and, and, the, and the work of following Jesus is, is we think of as learning Jesus. We're learning what he says and what he says we want to say. And we're learning what he does and what he does we want to do. We're learning to pattern our lives after him. We're learning to take strength from our relationship with him that motivates us and helps us in everything that he's calling us to do. We're learning Jesus. We're walking behind him. We're following him. And in verse 20, they followed him. Uh, the, the sons of Zebedee followed Jesus. And this has more of the nuance of they departed or they left these other things to go after him. To leave something or someone behind. And, and then Mark makes this very explicit in this passage. Simon and Andrew left their nets. James and John left their father. Levi in chapter 2 left his tax booth. A, a rich young man was called by Jesus to follow me and he was told to leave his possessions. He said, I don't want to leave my possessions. So he went away sad. In, in Luke chapter 9, there are three different individuals who come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you, I want to follow you. And Jesus essentially says, leave your comfort. Leave your earthly obligations. Leave those earthly family loyalties and follow me. And then in John chapter 21, um, there's Peter and John. And, and Peter's like, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about John? What about him? And Jesus says, what about him? You follow me. 
That's basically, it's my paraphrase. He's saying, leave your concerns about what other people are doing or not doing and follow me. Just keep your nose in your own business, basically. Don't worry about what John's doing. You follow me. If you are following me, you may be able to help him. But if you're not following me and you're just trying to get in the... Uh, no. Follow me. Following Jesus means you have to leave many things behind at times. Anything that would keep you from following him, keeping up with him, keeping pace with him. And, and the ultimate, the ultimate leave behind is in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Leave yourself behind. Leave your own interests. Leave your priorities. Leave your plans and goals. Leave what you want. Leave your passions and desires. Leave them all and have Jesus. Do you see what, how much of an act of faith that is? Do you believe in the gospel that is calling you to leave those things behind and follow him? That's what Jesus is asking. That's what the call to be a disciple is. There's no halfway. See, the people who said, I don't want to leave that behind, were not Jesus' disciples. Do you understand? You can't, you can't say, I'll follow you and I'll just take all this other stuff with me. He's saying, empty the rucksack so you can get on your running shoes and follow me. We got places to go. We've got a mission. You got to drop that thing and go where, where or I am leading you to go. So, it says that in both of those verses, 18 and 20, immediately, they left their nets. And then immediately called them and they left their father. There's an immediacy. There's a, there's a moment in time, an instant, where they begin to learn Jesus, where they begin to follow him. They begin this lifetime of leaving and following. In fact, what they're doing is getting into a process of or joining or engaging in a process of transformation. That's what's going to happen to these disciples. That's what's going to happen to these fishermen who are leaving their good middle class jobs to follow Jesus. Lord knows where and he does know where. And then they're going to just, they're, they're, they're entering into this process of learning what it's going to be like in every aspect of their life. And then every aspect of their life is being transformed. And I mean, just read the Gospel of Mark again. Sit down in one sitting. Spend an hour and 15 minutes reading the Gospel of Mark in one sitting. And notice how many lessons the disciples are learning. They don't got it. They, they don't get it at first. But they do know this. I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm not going to understand everything. I'm not going to understand what he's doing half the time. But I'm going to follow him. And at the end, these men are transformed. And then we go into the book of Acts and we see God working in them by his spirit. Jesus by his spirit working through his disciples. And guess what people are saying about them? These men must have been with Jesus. 
these men must have followed him. Because how can they be like they are? It's a process of transformation. And if you'd like to know, um, if you'd like to see a stronger textual evidence of this transformation besides the, the general th- theme or the story of the disciples throughout the Gospels and Acts, Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. It, that is envisioned as a, an ongoing process. It reminds me of things like Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you, that moment of calling, follow me, will be faithful to complete it in you at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a process of lifelong learning. Learning to leave those things behind and to follow after Jesus to leave and to follow, to leave and to follow, which sounds a whole lot like repent and believe. Repent and believe. Here's the big idea today for us. The question to, the answer to our question, what is a disciple? A disciple is a rescued and transformed sinner who is learning Jesus in repentance and faith. Belief. A disciple is a rescued and transformed sinner who is learning Jesus in repentance and faith. So what shall we do today? The the call, the invitation that Jesus is making to us It's to us who have already been called and have already responded in faith at some point. It's also a call to those who have never responded in faith. And to those who have never said yes to Jesus, the questions for us maybe are like this. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Have you responded to his call? Have you said yes to him? Are you ready to leave your old ways behind, to repent of those things, and to follow him, to believe that Jesus is better for you than the life that you've been living? But it's also for those disciples who have been off by a few compass points. It's a call to turn around. It's a call to repent. It's a call to do that day after day. Daily, daily. Repent. Believe. How is he calling you to return to him in faith? And then, ultimately, his call was to join him in his mission of rescuing people far from God. Are you doing that? Can we say that we as a church are, are those who are engaged in rescuing people? Are, are, we, are we helping people move from, from just knowing 
Christians and knowing that there's this person named Jesus to actually hearing the gospel and, and, and having that presented to them to, to stepping over into life and, and to, to, to then being established in their faith and to growing and then ultimately being equipped to keep reaching more and more people with the good news of Jesus? Are we helping people to do that? Are we doing it ourselves? Or are those things just tying us up? Burdening us down? Or are our eyes just on the wrong thing? The, uh, the, ultimate, the ultimate truth here in this passage, as Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be a disciple, is this, that the kingdom came with Jesus. That the king arrived with his people. And the king, the king came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, I'm a bad disciple. I got to do better. <laughs> maybe you are, and maybe you do. I'll let Jesus be the judge of that. I'll let Jesus work on your heart. But you got to know that what Jesus has done for us and what he calls us to is good. It's good in every, every sense of the word. He will always lead us faithfully. Do you re, did, you, did you recall, did you catch the words from Deuteronomy 8? I led you faithfully, my people. I led you through the wilderness. I kept your feet on, 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 on straight paths. I was with you. I was a good father to you. Your sandals didn't even wear out. I protected you. I provided for you. I am a good leader and you can trust me. Will you trust me? Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will then you receive all of the blessings of my kingdom? That's the invitation we have from Jesus to be his disciples who make disciples persevering, persevering in the rescue and transformation of people far from God through the prayerful proclamation of the good news of Jesus. Let's be that, those people, church. Let's do it together. Amen? Let's follow him. Would you pray? Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for encouraging us and challenging us. And Lord, I, I long, God, for us to be more of, of what you have us to be, which is really more of you. To be disciples whose lives are, are being transformed and changed little by little. To, be, to resemble more of who you are, less of ourselves. God, there's, there's no truth in believe in yourself or even be the best uh, you you can be. 
But there is deep, transforming truth in us being more like you. That's our only hope in this life and the next. Lord, help us to trust in you and by faith to walk with you as you lead us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.